Praise the Lord, church. I'm gonna ask you to remain standing a little longer. Two verses of scripture for pastor's text this morning. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 15 and 16. Hebrews 13, 15 and 16. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But to do good and to communicate, forget not. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Lord, we set our hearts on your word and we ask for liberty and power to be on our pastor and help him deliver the word that you've placed in his soul. Let it go out and conquer and do its work. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. You may be seated this morning. Good to see everybody in the house of the Lord. Before I uh, uh, begin to preach, I, I, I got to make a sad announcement. We just found out a while ago that uh, one of our dearly beloved brother Mike had has passed away and went on to be with the Lord. So we want you to be praying for Linda and young Michael and the rest of the family that the Lord would give them comfort and that the Lord would help them in their time of need. The church has been very good to them. Everybody's been going out and visiting them, and, and we thank you for your love that you have shown, but now they're going to need more love than ever before. We'll let you know the announcements of the funeral arrangements when we get them. I hope this sermon has a better effect on you than it had on me this morning. I got in my car, and I was driving down the road, and I had my notebook, and I threw it up on the dash of the car, and it's got a little plastic thing over it, and I'm driving down the road, and all of a sudden, the sun came in on that plastic, and I couldn't see a thing. And I thought my sermon was going to kill me this morning. So I hope that your, this sermon ain't going to kill you this morning. Amen. We hope that it will bless you. We hope that it will touch you. I want to read the scripture just one more time. It says, by him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks unto his name. But to do good and to communicate, forget not, for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Now, first of all, how many of you want to please God? Is that the intent of everybody in here? I think that it is to please God. How many of us really want it to be said that God is well pleased with us? I know that when I open my mouth and give God praise and give God glory, I hope that he receives that and I hope that he is well pleased with the praise that I give him. As a matter of fact, it was in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, verse five, there's a familiar passage of scripture tucked away there, unfamiliar passage of scripture tucked away there that we don't pay a lot of attention to and it just said this, that Enoch had this testimony that he pleased God. I want this congregation this morning to please God with me. Will you do that with me? How we're going to please God here today in this service. First of all, this morning I have a heavy burden upon my heart concerning worship in the 21st century. There seems to be so many different styles and ideas and opinions, likes, dislikes, desires, preferences, preferences concerning this thing called worship. And this is mainly due to the different cultures, different cultural groups within America that's come in, the different generations, the different ages. You know, we have the old wineskins, we have the new wineskins, and we have race that has different styles and different, the way you're raised, the way your culture you're raised in, your personality, your likes, dislikes, all of these things have an effect and set a tone of worship. This in itself, however, can cause a lack of unity in the 
body of Christ during public worship services if we're not careful. A matter of fact, all across America, there are strains during worship services. They say that the number one struggle in churches right now in America and even around the world is worship. And as a result, worship leaders are leaving by record numbers because of all the pressure that people are putting on them. They get done after a church service. I hope it don't happen here, but they get done after a church service doing everything that they know to do and doing the best that they know how. And everyone gets to grabbing a hold of them, telling them what they're doing wrong and telling them what kind of songs they should be singing and what songs they shouldn't be singing. And all of a sudden, before they leave, they have a hundred different opinions and hundred different kinds of ideas of how that that worship service should have went. And this, of course, has caused a lack of freedom and liberty, which stops the Spirit of God from being able to move in the house. How many knows that where there's a lack of unity, God cannot move? We have to be unified in what we're doing around here. Can I have an amen? And in some cases, sometimes even that kind of a thing has started wars and fights and even caused splits within the churches across America. God forbid that that would ever happen. Some think that hymnals is the only way to worship. Some think that Southern gospel is the only way to worship. Some think that the contemporary music's the only way to worship. You talk to young people, that's all they know. And you know, I like the hymnals. I like the Southern gospel. I like the contemporary. I kind of like it all. I, I, I guess God's blessed me in that area. But what, but what we don't understand, some of those ancient believers would reject every one of those three categories of worship. And the, back in the ancient beliefs, there were some believers that actually believe that you were not allowed to sing any kind of song that wasn't within Scripture, such as the songs of Miriam, the songs of Deborah, the songs of David, the songs of Solomon, and on and on. That if it wasn't in Scripture, you wasn't able to be able to sing it. Now, how would you, some of you like to go back and sing some of those old songs that you see in the Bible. Our forefathers in the 18th century, they'd roll over in their graves because we don't have pipe organs and we don't have some of the old instruments of worship anymore. And then, of course, there's the thing called the piano that's caused a lot of wars in the past. Did you know in the early 1900s, churches split because the pianos were being introduced into the church for the first time and they were introduced and brought into the house of God. Earlier of music was criticized and rejected by the mainstream religion of the day due to them expressing so-called uh, honky-tonk rhythms. Did you know when the, when the Southern Gospel first came out, it was rejected by the body of the Lord Jesus Christ? And then it became almost idolized after 20 years of doing it. When Jimmy Swagger first started playing his music, people, boy, was against him because his beat was too much like Jerry Lee Lewis. And everybody was criticizing the different styles of worship as it changed throughout the years. In the late 1950s and early 60s, churches fought because drums were brought upon the stage in churches. In the 1970s, church splits happened because songs were projected on a wall instead of being read out of a book. Now, these are some of the things that the church world has went, just the small things that I've mentioned. There are many, many others that the churches have went through just over worship. Worship has always been fought from the very beginning. And it's always been attacked by the enemy because worship is the highest function of the human soul. 
And the enemy's out to try to stifle, hinder, stop, destroy the worship of the church of Jesus Christ. And the reason for this is that the body of Christ has thought that a worship service is a smorgasbord where we can come in here, pick and choose what we, he or she would like and what we're going to respond to and what we're not going to respond to. A lot of times you can tell what people like by the way that they worship. Certain songs will be singing and they'll just sit there with their arms folded. Not much activity and all of a sudden a different song will shift in and boom, boy they're all alive and well. And a lot of times we only respond to what our personality likes. We only respond to what we enjoy. We only respond to that which we like or want to get engaged in. So worship has become all about self instead of the one that we're supposed to be worshiping in America. The very thing that is to set the tone for spiritual services now is the very thing that's bringing the conflict in the church, which is the worship, which is the most important thing that we do. While worship is the highest function of the human soul, yet it's become, become one of the least things that congregations is doing across America. The thing that is to bring beauty and strength and anointing and set the tone of the service is the thing that has now become a problem in America. There's one thing that I can tell you, and that is this, that the church that worships in spirit and truth will be a church that will be unified in their worship. And the church that is unified in their church, uh, worship, unified in their worship, will be a church where great manifestations will take place. How many want the manifestation of the presence of God? Then we gotta be unified within our worship. The enemy hates worship because God does more during worship services among his people than any other time. My dad, my father was saved as a result of worship service. He went to visit the church with me after I got saved and it wasn't the preaching that got him. It wasn't the fellowship that got him. All of them, you know, was a part of it. But it was one night or one morning during a worship service and the Holy Ghost came down and began to bless that congregation and my father my dad ran to an old-fashioned altar and gave his heart and life to Jesus Christ. There's power in the services of unified worship. Can I have an amen? The enemy hates worship, and he's fought it from the very beginning, and it was the very thing that disrupted heaven. The devil tried to take true praise away from God, make it about himself. Sounds like most churches in America today. He was the chief cherubim. He was the musician of heaven, and he tried to exalt himself above God and set himself upon the seat of God to be worshiped. And he, and, and, According to Ezekiel chapter 28, you can read that. And even though he did not succeed, and it caused him to get kicked out, of heaven, yet I'm afraid he's succeeding now on our watch. I am concerned that God is cheated out of worship in a lot of church services due to us turning inwardly and making worship all about ourselves. I want you to notice David's praise that was presented to us out of the book of Psalms 119 verse 164. He said, seven times a day do I praise thee because of thy righteous judgments. Now, first of all, the number seven in this passage of scripture describes more than just the amount or the number of times that David praised God a day, but it is showing us this, that the kind of praise that David was actually offering to God. The number seven, as we all know in the biblical account, represented perfection or completion. The symbolism in this passage of scripture is showing us that David is offering to God a mature praise, a perfect 
exalted praise, a praise that was complete and one that God would honor. David's praise had become to a point or a place of completion or perfection and it was known as a pure praise. His praise wasn't just a ritual that he went through. It wasn't just a pattern of tradition that he followed. It wasn't a formula or a religion that he had practiced, but it was an object of who and what he had become. David had become a true worshiper of God. Worship to David was not just an event. It was not just a service. It was a lifestyle. And David had became a true worshiper of God, that great songwriter and the harp player, and when he would play his harp, it would smooth his people's souls. Now, even when King Saul was vexed by the devil, and the Bible talks about how that he was mean and that devil would jump on him, that spirit would jump on him, and David would come in and begin to play his harp, and it would calm him down because of the anointing that came out of David's music. And there's no doubt that every single one of us in this building wish that we have arrived to the place in our lives where we offer up to God perfected praise like that of David. And there's no doubt that each believer here right now wish that we could be said of us that their praise is perfected, that it's pure, that it's mature, and that's one that's accepted of God. I want my praise to be acceptable in his sight. How many want your praise to be acceptable in his sight? Come on, somebody. I'm going to help you here today. We're going to get somewhere if you'll hang with me. We all want our worship to be like that of Abel and not Cain's because Cain's sacrifice was rejected, but Abel's was received. And then I read something that I really never thought about. I've thought about it and preached on it, but not in this light before. In the book of Matthew, chapter 21, verse 16, it says, Jesus said, have you not read out of the mouths and babes and suckling thou hast perfected praise? And when I read that, I thought, oh my goodness, God, what are you saying? And all of a sudden it hit me, Jesus is saying this to us adults. He said, do you not know that children and infants, infants uh, worship sometimes is more pure than yours as adults? I'm afraid that too much of the time that we don't understand what perfected praise really is. So I got to thinking about it. I thought, okay, if God says that perfected praise comes out of babes and sucklings, out of the infants of the church, and not out of the adults of the church, what's the difference between a child's praise and an adult's praise? First of all, babes have an inhibited praise. Babes express their praise unconsciously and without restraint. They're not all proper and polished and presentable like we adults like to package praise. I think sometimes we we begin as adults to we begin to think things and we begin to let things enter in and we begin to look around and we begin to worry about what everybody else thinks about us and we don't want to run the risk of offending anybody. We don't want to be a run the risk of uh, 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 embarrassing ourselves and, and before long we as an individual will literally walk away from the perfectedness of praise that God wants to put into our hearts. Come on somebody. They have unrestrained praise. They're, uh, uh, babes and, and sucklings, they're radical, open, expressive. They're willing to go beyond self and not worry about what everybody else is thinking. And because their attention isn't upon themselves, but it's on the object and the person in whom they're worshiping. Can I have an amen? The Hebrew word translated for praise is Allah. So the Hebrew word literally tells us as a congregation that when we praise, we're to do it hollowly which means to shine, 
to make a show, to boast, to rave, to celebrate, and to be willing to look foolishly. That's what the Bible literally calls worship through the translation of the Hebrew word praise. In other words, when we come here, we're to show, we're to celebrate, we're to rave, we're to be boastful. Come on, somebody. God's, God's worthy of our praise here this morning. That's why 1 Peter 1 and 9 says, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, that you should show forth the praises of him who's called you out of darkness in this marvelous life. We're to show forth the praises of God. Can I have an amen? It wasn't a formula that David practiced, but it was something that was in his heart. We all understand the rewards of perfected and accepted praise. The Bible specifically says in Psalms 22 and 3, God inhabits the praises of his people. I love that. That word inhabit means that he resides, that he lives, that he dwells right in the midst of praise. God does things in the midst of praise that he ordinary other times would not do. If you don't believe me, ask Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was told when the enemy was approaching him to go to battle. And he said, okay, so he got his warriors all ready and God said, no, that ain't the way I'm wanting to fight this battle. Put your warriors in the back and get your trumpeters and your horns and your instruments up front. Get your worshipers out in front. Now, how would you like to have been in the choir that day? How many of you like to have been a trumpet player on that morning? In other words, uh, you're going up a, a, a much larger army than what he had and he ain't even allowing the, war, the warriors to go up. He's saying, you trumpeters go out, you instruments go out, and you, you're gonna go to battle. And I wanna tell you something. Instead of criticizing your worship team, and I know we don't do that, but instead of churches around America criticizing their worship team, they ought to be thankful for them because they're on the front lines. They get more attacks than anybody else. And I wanna tell you, you ought to be thankful for the worship team that we have. They're leading with integrity and they're leading us in the things of the Holy Spirit. Give them a thanks offering here today. Thank you, guys. Amen. But Jehoshaphat had to go, and the praisers was the ones that was going to win that battle. Well, if you don't believe that God does things in the times of praise and worship than any other time, ask Paul and Silas at the midnight hour when they're uh, in stocks and chains, thrown in the inner prison, beaten because of preaching the gospel. And when at the midnight hour, old Paul said, hey, I think it's time to strike up a song. And, and old Silas said, what song you want to sing? And I don't know which one it was. I think he sung, he set me free. And all of a sudden, they begin to sing together. And all of a sudden, the prison bars begin to shake because an earthquake came and the bars were open and the chains fell off. And Paul and Silas got up and he led a jailer to the, the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Don't tell me that praise don't make a difference. Can I have an amen? It's praise that causes God to move with his presence. It's praise that activates the arm of God. It's praise that motivates God to move on our behalf. And even though God is omnipresent, where two or three are gathered together in his name, he's in the He's here whether you feel him or not. God's omnipresent. He can't withdraw or seclude himself from anywhere. He, his whole glory fills the earth. He's everywhere at all times. And even though God, excuse me, even though God is omnipresent, yet it is through praise and worship that he will manifest himself to us when he ordinarily would not do so. It is praise that makes up the difference. Therefore, we have to learn how to enter into his presence. Our main objective here today is that when we come here, not just to have church, but to enter into the presence of God. Amen? 
A matter of fact, 78% of Christians polled in nominal church congregations around the United States said they have never felt the tangible presence of God. 78% of people that's going to nominal churches on a regular basis was polled, said we've never felt the presence of God. And those that have felt it have only felt it once, uh, two or three times within their lifetime. That is, that is an indictment upon the church in which they go to. Come on, somebody. If churches are that dead across America, then we are in trouble. No wonder that the decline of the American church is plundering and we're shutting churches every so many hours across America and we're losing momentum within the religious world and we're seeing the evil take over our land. But this is why the Acts 2 and 47 says, they went around everywhere, this is the disciples, everywhere preaching and God working, uh, confirming the word with signs and wonders. We say that, don't we? Yeah, and they did. But listen to what else they did. They went around everywhere praising God. Everywhere, they, hallelujah. And there were people in the earth thought, man, that is one weird duck. They praised God. They were openly not ashamed, but they were openly expressing their gratitude and love toward God. And then they had favor with all the people and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be praised. They walked in the presence of God. The early church had favor with the people and, was, and, there, and the church was added to daily with souls being saved as a result of that favor. People encountered the presence of God during their worship services. Praise gave them favor with God and God blessed them as a result of that favor. No wonder it was the psalmist that connected salvation with praise. Listen to what he said, Psalms 149 verse one through six. Praise ye the Lord. Sing the Lord a new song and his praise in the congregation of the saints. We're to praise him in the congregation of the saints. Let Israel rejoice in him that made him. Let the children of Zion be joyful to their king. Let's quit coming in here with our sad frown face. Let's be joyful here today. Amen. Let them praise his name in the dance. Let them sing praises in him with the tremble and the harp. For the Lord taketh pleasure in his people. He will beautify the meek with salvation. Let the saints be joyful in glory. Let them sing aloud upon their best. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth. Yeah. Hallelujah. The psalmist literally said that the Lord taketh pleasure in the praises of his people and as a result, he beautifies the meek with salvation. Hallelujah. A church or a people that does not praise God will be a dead church, a dead people. They will be uh, absent. The presence of God will be ab absent from them. There are all kinds of churches across America and in the last 40 years, they haven't grown any. No salvations, very few, one here, one there. Come on, somebody. What's wrong? What is the major factor of what's happening? When worship is assaulted and when it is restrained and when worship is hindered, God is hindered. Come on. The church becomes dead. It becomes lethargy, cold and indifferent. And without even the people even know it, those that sit on the pew become the same way. They get filled with apathy. And most of the time, when they do get around high-spirited people, it, it, they just can't take it. And, and, and especially those that are real hot and, and fervent, you know what will happen? Instead of enjoying it, they'll criticize it. Not understanding it. We as believers have the scriptural command and the spiritual export, exhortation to praise him. 
There are over 200 passages of scripture telling us in the Old Testament alone to worship God. When I say 200 passages, I'm not saying 200 verses. I'm saying 200 passages. Some of those passages will be 19 verses long where every single one of those verses deal with worship and praise. And there are 200 such like places in the Old Testament. There are so many that I've not been able to count them and I haven't found anybody that has. Everywhere you turn around, there are some chapters being devoted and solely given over for praise and worshiping God. Can I have an amen? The psalmist wrote in Psalms 147, I'm about to preach myself happy because I know where I'm going. Psalms 147 verse one says, praise ye the Lord for it is good to sing praises unto our God for it is pleasant and praise is comely. Boy, I'd like to preach on that a while. How many likes that thought that it's good? Sing praise ye the Lord for it is good. It's good to sing praises unto our God for it's pleasant and praise is comely. It was David that said in Psalms 138 verse one through five, I will praise the Lord with my whole heart before the gods will I sing praise unto thee. We're always talking about how bad things are getting and our government's corrupt. You know what David said in front of all those heathens, I'm gonna praise him. I will praise the Lord with my whole heart before the gods of this world. He's not gonna, he's not gonna be intimidated. He's not gonna draw back. A lot of us say, well, you gotta know the culture. You gotta know your audience fully on the audience. I gotta know the one who's looking over the audience and magnify and please him. Can I have an amen? I'm not here to tickle your fancy. I'm here to honor God. I want God to look down at Kent Miller and say, that's a boy I am well pleased of right there. Uh-huh, that's my man. That's my boy. Hallelujah. I want him to be able to boast about me the way I boast about him. I want to be rave him, celebrate him, glorify him. I'm not going to let the tone of the world calm me down. If anything, I'm going to build a, a, a fire, and my fire is going to begin to bring them up because God is worthy of praise. Let the whole earth be filled with his glory. Oh, hallelujah. Uh-huh. And the day when I cried, thou answered me and strengthened me with the strength of my soul. He says, all the kings of the earth shall praise thee. O Lord, when they hear the words of your mouth, yea, they shall sing in the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. Psalms 136, verse one through three, just I love these things. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he's good, for his mercy endureth forever. Oh, give thanks unto the God of gods, for his mercy endureth forever. Oh, give thanks, he says in verse three, to the Lord of lords for his mercy endureth forever. Did you hear what he said? He said, give thanks unto the God who's above all gods. Give your thanks to the Lord who's above all lords. In other words, center on, focus on who you're worshiping. And then Psalms 134, verse one and two. Behold, bless you the Lord, all the servants of the Lord, which by night stand in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. The lifting up of hands is not only a New Testament term. We know it is a New Testament term by Paul telling Timothy in 2 Timothy, or 1 Timothy 2 and 8, I will therefore that all men everywhere wear lifting, pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. The Bible tells us that we are to lift up our hands without wrath and doubting to magnify the Lord. And then the, the psalmist said, lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. Even in the Old Testament and the New Testament, we are to lift up our hands and praise the Lord. Somebody said, well, the Spirit just ain't leading me that way. Yes, he is because the Scripture's telling you to do it. And the Holy Spirit's gonna tell you what the Scripture, when, since when do you gotta feel everything that you gotta do? 
I'm so sick of hearing that kind of a lame excuse. Well, the spirit just, in other words, you're too embarrassed to lift your hands in the sanctuary. Come on, somebody. Well, it's just not my, it don't matter. It's not about your personality. It's about, he's given you a scriptural command. Lift up, he said, I wish that all men, everyone with holy hands, lift up their hands with praise and the honor and the glory to God. How many of you are not ashamed today and lift up your hands and say, praise the name of the Lord? Can I have an amen? I see people all the time singing. You mean you had to feel like you had to sing before you could sing? Come on, somebody. Psalms 150, verse 1 through 6. Praise you, the Lord. Praise God in the sanctuary. I'm waiting. Yeah. Praise him in the firmament of his power. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise him with the salt in the heart. Praise him with the tremble. Praise him with the dance. Praise him with string instruments. Praise him with the organs. Praise him upon the loud cymbals. Praise him with the high sounding cymbals. Let everything that have breath praise ye the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. Hallelujah. Woo. <laughs> them doodads are getting on my back hallelujah already God's beginning to manifest his presence Woo! no wonder it was the prophets of old that exhorted the people to have universal praise God don't just want a handful of us to praise him Listen to what Psalm 67 verse three and verse five says. Let the people praise thee, O Lord. Let all of the people praise thee. Huh. Then he goes down to verse five. Let the people praise thee, O Lord. Let all the people praise thee. Hallelujah. And then he jumps over to Psalms 117, verse one. Oh, praise the Lord, all ye nations. Praise him, all ye people. And then he jumps down to Psalms 148, verse one and 12. Oh, praise ye the Lord. Praise the Lord, both young men and maidens, old men and children. He's saying, let the old praise him, let the young praise him, let the boy praise him, let the girl praise him, let that old lady praise him, let that old man praise him. The maidens, the come on somebody. It's not just for a certain leader group. Psalms 96 verse one through four says, oh, sing the Lord a new song. Sing the Lord all the earth. Let every culture group, let every race, let every color of skin, let every language, let every tribe. Let the rich, let the poor, let the young, let the old, everybody that's got a mouth. Let them magnify and praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Now, why are we to praise him? Sing the Lord, bless his name, show forth his salvation from day to day. What do you say in 1 Peter 1 9 again? You're a chosen generation, a royal priest, a holy nation, a peculiar people. That you should show forth the praises of him who's called you out of darkness. You're to show forth his praise. Declare his glory among the heathen. 
and his wonders among all people. Notice how he tied that together. And I'll, I'll say that again in just a moment. He said, when you begin to declare his glory among the heathen, huh, there'll be great wonders upon the earth. Hallelujah. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised and he's to be feared above all gods. The wonders of his presence is tied to his praise. That when people come in, I've seen people bring guests to the church and they'll be hot worshipers when the guests stay here, but when the guests are sitting beside them, they calm themselves down. I was tempted of that. There was a little lady by the name of Rosemary Allison, a little Catholic woman, a German woman. She worked at Gates Rubber Company. She was killed there in that factory. Very precious to me. She was a German lady and I picked on her and uh, I had so much fun with her. And um, she, her, her, her English was broken somewhat and she was married to a Navy man. They got married because he was in the Navy, met her overseas, and was a wonderful man. And they were Catholic people, and I'd go by, and she printed a lot on a printer, and she'd sit there, I'm Zion feeling, and she'd start counting in German. And I'd go by and say, 13, 16, 14, 13, oh! She'd, she'd dump the bucket and start counting them out again. She'd get so mad. I'd frustrate her, and we developed a great relationship. And so at my home church, um, I invited her to was having a revival and she showed up on a Thursday night. Me and my wife were singing that night. Yeah, I sing. <laughs> the Lord said, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. I can crow with the best of you. Amen. You don't have to be a peacock and you can be a crow and still magnify the Lord. We got up and me and my wife sung the old rugged cross together. On a hill far away. That's where everybody wants me to go sing it. <laughs> Nevertheless, we sung that song. The preacher got up and preached and what a move of God we had. But the whole time I was sitting there, there was Rock and Ruby that you've heard me talk about. Oh, Rock and Ruby, run them aisles. Woo, down the aisle she'd go, open her almost 80 years old, turn around, come back, boop, fall out on the floor. And I was sitting there, Lord, calm her down. Lord, calm her down. Don't let that happen. Rosemary's here. Rosemary. I begin to begin to apologize for Pentecostal worship. That little old lady, sure enough, Hearing the preaching, singing, I can't remember exactly when it happened. Out that pew she went and right down, right back there where Rosemary and them were at, she grabbed a hold of them. And she turned around and took off. Down the aisle and out in the front of the wall, boop, out she went. I thought, oh, Lord, they'll never come back. Them Catholic people, they don't understand. Went to church the next day and I kind of avoided Rosemary for a little while. Finally, I went up to her pushing some hoses and she looked up at me and I said, well, I said, how did you, I said, we were we, we, we too aggressive last night? Did you, how did, did you like it? And she said, oh, me and my husband couldn't even sleep. Tears just streaming down her eyes. She grabbed a hold of me, embraced me. The very thing that I was ashamed of was the very thing that grabbed a hold of her. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. Don't be ashamed of who we are. Amen. Psalms 100, verse 1 through 6. Praise you the Lord. Make a joyful noise in the Lord, all ye lands. 
Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. Is he that's made us and not we ourselves? We are the sheep of his pasture. We are his people. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth to all generations. We're to praise him. We praise him because, of the, because he is worthy of our praise. Praise and worship is the highest function of the human soul. You hear me say it all the time. Worship comes from the word worthy. And God is truly worthy to be worshiped. The word praise in the Webster Dictionary just simply means worthy object of adoration to glorify. God and God alone is the only one that we are to worship. The Bible says let every nation, let all the earth, let all people, let every tribe, let everyone that have breath praise ye the Lord. And this is why that David said in Psalms 146, verse one and two, praise ye the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. While I live, I will praise the Lord. I will sing praises unto my God while I have any being. He says, as long as there's breath in these lungs and as long as there's a beat in my heart, I'm gonna praise the name of the Lord. God wants and desires universal praise, corporate praise, unified praise. Nothing can energize or electrify an atmosphere like that of Unified praise. Go to Acts chapter two on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came. It was poured out. The Holy Ghost filled the house where they were sitting. There appeared in them clothed in tongues of fire as a result of the unified praise. God desires, God longs for his people to praise him. The Bible says in John 4 and 24 that God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth for God seeketh such to worship him. Do you not know God seeks for man to worship and to praise him. Right now on this Sunday morning, God's combing the earth, looking at the congregation, and he's looking at which one of them are praising him. He's seeking them out. God is seeking the individual. Which, which one of those people in that church really has a heart of worship? Which is it that's really touching me with their praise and their worship? The only way a man or a congregation can honor God is by praising him. There's no other sacrifice by which we can bring glory to God. Do you not realize that? This is why our text stated in verse 15, by him therefore, look at the scripture, by him therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God. By who? Jesus Christ. Let us offer the sacrifice of God to him continually. The words in our text, by him therefore, speaks of how that we are to worship. We are to worship God through the person of Jesus Christ. Why? This just simply tells us that at the time that the Messiah came and every messianic vision and prophecy had been fulfilled and the last bloody sacrifice which God would ever accept has already been offered by his son, Jesus Christ. In other words, Jesus Christ was the substitute for all of the Levitical sacrifices of the Old Testament. Jesus fulfilled the peace offering the friendship offering, the burnt offering, the sin offering, the wave offering, the trespass offering, the morning offering, the evening offering, the meal offering, the meat offering. Every sacrifice, therefore, should cease because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross and the only sacrifice that should remain is the sacrifice of our praise. Oh, my goodness. Jesus can atone for you He can redeem you. He can intercede for you. But there's one thing he cannot do for you, and that's praise God for you. The Jewish sacrificial system has now been abolished, and no sacrifice will ever be accepted of God except the sacrifice of praise that comes through Jesus Christ. 
Praise is the only sacrifice that you can offer to God that he will honor and receive and be well pleased of. Your good works will not suffice. Your good deeds will not gain merit. Your human sacrifice will not appease him. The only thing that you have to honor God with is your praise. Think about that. Forget the law, forget the systems, forget the sacrifices, forget the rituals, forget the traditions, forget the feast, and praise and exalt the name of the Lord through Jesus Christ. Now the question is, how much do you honor him? How do you praise him? Look how that we are to sacrifice. He says, By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. How? That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks unto God. People say, well, there's a lot of way to praise God. I beg to offer with you. There is not. There's only one way to praise God. Your good works doesn't praise him. Your good deeds don't praise him. Your good intentions sure don't praise him. The only way that he receives praise is through your lips. The phrase fruit of the lips actually means what the lips produce, which is words. This is why he says, that is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name, but to do good and to communicate, forget not. How do you communicate? Come on, somebody. Through your words, through your expressions. This is why that the psalmist said in Psalms 35 and 28, and my tongue shall speak of thy righteousness, of thy praise all the day long. Psalms 89 and one says, I will sing of the goodness of the loving kindness of the Lord forever, and with my mouth I will make known thy faithfulness to all generations. That's why he says in Psalms 51 and 15, O Lord, open thou my lips and my mouth, show forth thy praise. That's why Psalms 149 and 6 says, let the high praises of God be in their mouth. We could give hundreds of scriptures to declare that we are to praise him with our lips, with our mouth, with our voice. We are to make his praises known. Listen to what Psalms 118 and 15 says. The voice of rejoicing and salvation is in the tabernacle of the righteous. That when God enters in the tabernacle of righteousness, he's looking for the voice of rejoicing. He's looking for the voice of praise. The psalmist said in Psalms 93 and three, the floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods, the multitudes have lifted up their voices. Lifted means to raise, to exert, to excel, to yell, to make known, to boast, to rave. Listen to what David said in Psalms 42, verse four. When I remembered these things, I pour out my soul in me, for I had gone with the multitudes. I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise and with the multitude that kept the holy day. He said, I want you to know that a multitude of us got together and we walked to the house of the temple of God and when we entered in, we lifted up our voices as a multitude and we gave praise unto your holy name. We see biblical examples of this in Luke 19, 37, a verbal outward expressions of worship from his own disciples. And when he was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, talking about Jesus, the whole multitude, everybody there, 
uh, and the disciples began to rejoice with a loud voice for all the mighty works that he had done. He walked up and all of a sudden a whole multitude and his disciples, woo, praise the name of the Lord. We magnify the Lord. Glory to the Lord. We worship you. Hallelujah. Great is your name. We extol thee. We love you. We adore you. We magnify. That's what that whole multitude began to do. And the earth ring with the praises of the Lord. Come on, somebody. This is the only thing that we offer to God, the fruit of our lips. This won't even change in eternity. Listen what it's like in heaven in Revelations 5, 11 and 12. And I beheld, John said, and heard the voice of many angels round about the throne of the beast and the elders. There we are, the elders. And the number of them were 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. Say it with a loud voice. Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing, amen. Everybody says, well, you Pentecostal churches make me nervous. Well, you ain't gonna be like it in heaven. You think it's loud down here, honey. You ain't seen nothing until you get beside the king that day. Can I have a, oh, like the old song says, I don't know whether it is to fall down and be quiet or whether I need to shout. Oh, when you get beside the king, you're gonna get beside yourself that day, I'll tell you for sure. Can I have an amen? Jesus even said in Luke 9 and 40 to the Pharisees that wanted Jesus to rebuke the disciples for saying, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. On his way into the triumphant entry into Jerusalem, they were laying the palm branches and, and the coats down and waving the palm branches and saying, blessed is he who cometh in the name of the Lord. And they said, shut your disciples' mouths. And listen to what Jesus said to the Pharisees. Said, blessed, he said, to them, I tell you that if these should hold these peace, these stones would immediately cry out. Can I have an amen? Even the heavenly beings lifted their voices even on earth to declare who he was when they visited Mary. The angel, Luke 2, 13 and 14, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God and the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. The angels worshiped him. Our praise is what sets the atmosphere. Now this is, I'm gonna do a little teaching and we're gonna close out here in just a minute. I said our praise is what sets the atmosphere and the tone of this service. A church that don't praise will be a dead church. It's simple as that. Individual expressions of praise sets the tone or the atmosphere of a congregational worship. When God begins to move as the result of people's praise, when God begins to come down when God begins to infiltrate, when God begins to manifest, when God begins to inhabit our praise, and how many says knows he's promised to do that, then his move sets the tone in which the congregation is to move in, and it sets the tone of what we're to yield to. One of the things I want you to do is I want you to worship God for who you are. When you come into this house, I want you, if you're flamboyant, be flamboyant in your praise. If you're more quiet, you can be quiet in your praise. No big deal. If you're boisterous, be boisterous. Come on. I get tired of people always wanting to criticize somebody. Yeah, oh, they're over there dancing. Is that in the spirit or not? <laughs> well, the Bible tells us to dance. 
I don't have to be in the spirit to dance. Now, is there a difference in the dance of the spirit? Yes. And here's what I want you to understand. When everybody corporately, individually, with diversity comes in of every nation, tribe, color, age, whatever, and we don't judge one another to one another's worship, but our focus is upon God. Let everybody worship the way that they want to respond to God as long as they do it decently and in order. In other words, they're not out here uh, doing things out of order to distract, and we'll handle that as leaders. But I want you to understand something. As everybody does that, God is so well pleased that we're unified in our worship, though our worship is diversified. The old are getting along with the young, and the young are getting along with the old. Come on. When they sing, I'll fly away, even the young are worshiping. When they sing one of the most contemporary songs there is, the 80-year-old is still. Come on. And when we do that, God's heart is touched. Then God begins to move upon that congregation. And then if God wants to move, then we have to yield to what the Spirit then begins to put upon that congregation. Come on. If you're just out here dancing away and all of a sudden God begins to happen and it's a quiet, solemn smooth move, then you calm down. You're giving away to what God's wanting to be honored in it right now. But on the flip side of the coin, if you're quiet and reserved and all of a sudden a spirit of shout hits the house, get involved. <laughs> like that of Jericho. God says, I got a way I want you to worship today. For six days, I want you to do the same kind of a thing. Isn't there times a song will get hot? God seems to put an anointing on a song that he don't put on any other song, and we'll wear that sucker out. And well, we should, because it's a, it's a now song. It's a now word. Come on. And God says, you're gonna be in a pattern for six days. You're gonna march around this city and you're not gonna say a word. It's gonna be quiet, reserved. Come on, worship. Be quiet, don't say a word. Six days. Some of you would love that kind of praise. Someone like me, it would drive me bananas. Six days, but on the seventh day, we're gonna switch up a little bit. And that's when we have problems when God sets a different tone. On the seventh day, you're gonna march around it six times and you're gonna be quiet. But on the seventh, when you hear the trumpet blow, you're gonna shout with a shout of the Lord. And when you shout, the walls are gonna come tumbling down and you're gonna have the victory. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. And the problem of it is, is this. 
We think we have a license to remain silent in the time of shout. That's not true. He made every single one of them open their mouths and shout. And if they didn't, they didn't get the victory because they weren't unified. <laughs> it is our worship that opens the door of access to God. Come on. It's our worship that causes him to move in. And then we gotta be sensitive enough in the spirit to give way to what he's wanting to do to the congregation. Not only is praise the only thing that we can offer to God that honors, not only does praise have been given from our lips, it has to be given from our lips, but our praise can also be a sacrifice. Praise is not a mood. Praise is not a feeling. Praise is not an emotion. It can be emotional. Praise is an expression of the heart and the gratitude of the spirit and it's spoken words of sincerity to God. Praise is not an atmosphere. Praise sets the atmosphere. There are two times to praise God. One, when you feel like it, Two when you don't. I don't always feel the praise. So much time our praise is reflected by what we like or how we feel or what mood we're in. That's not perfected praise. That ain't the kind of praise that David had. We are told from the very beginning of our entry into the house of God to worship. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving enter into his courts with praise. From the time that we enter in on the property, the gates to the tabernacle, when you enter into the property, you're to start giving thanks to God. When you're parking your car, oh Lord, I give you thanks. Oh Lord, I thank you for salvation. Lord, I thank you for sanctification. Lord, I thank All the way up to the church, you're to be mumbling the praises of God. And then when you walk into the sanctuary, the courts... Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, but enter into his courts with praise. If you don't get it from my mouth, I'll show you how to do it. Come on, Joe, go with me. You crazy leapfrogger. I'll close just a second. I got to get my breath. I'm not as young as I used to be. Sometimes praise is not a feeling. It's a sacrifice. Praise is so much more powerful when you do it as an expression of your will 
instead of out of the stirred emotion. That's when it's perfected praise. It's so much more real when you're able to praise God when you don't feel like it. It's not some cheap thing that didn't cost you anything. That's why David said, David said, I will dare not offer anything to God that didn't cost me anything. Come on. When you're sitting around waiting for a mood, waiting for a song, waiting for a touch, waiting for a draw, you're dishonoring God because you're trying to honor God by a reflection upon only what you will yield to. God help us. This is why he said, offer the sacrifice of praise that is the fruit of our lips continually. Continually doesn't reveal how often as much as it does the tone of our worship. In everything, say everything. Give thanks, for this is the will of God concerning you. That's what he said. He said rejoice evermore. He said rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. I'm gonna close in just a second, I think. He says in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. You praise him in the good times. You praise him in the bad. You praise him in the hard times and the easy times. The high times, the low times. The mountain times, the experiences and the valley experiences. You praise him when the dog's alive and you praise him when the dog died. Come on, somebody. You praise him when you got a new car and you praise him when you got one that's on its last leg. You praise him when the washing machine's working, you praise him when it's not. You praise him when you got a job. You praise him when you don't have a job. That's perfected praise. It's learning the art of praise. Do you know how many times the Bible says, singing the Lord a new song? I just want to get some of this taught. Over and over and over in Scripture, especially in the Psalms, he says, I will sing a new song unto the Lord. This is so that praise don't become a preference, a tradition, a ritual, or a style. But its focus becomes upon God and not what the human element, human element likes or enjoys. If the only time that we can offer verbal praise before God is when we like it or when we feel it or when it fits our mood, we do not have perfected praise. My praise isn't about what I like, but it's because of what he did on Calvary and how I appreciate his sacrifice. And I offer him the sacrifice of praise because he deserves it. Even in heaven, the Bible says the saints will sing a new song before the throne in Revelations 14 and three. It won't be our favorite hymn. It won't be our worn out course. It won't be our regular praise and worship. It'll be a new thing. When you get to heaven, you can forget trying to find I'll Fly Away. And you can forget to try to find some of the songs that John, they're not gonna be there. If you were to ask what organization is known for praise, it should be the church. But I wanna tell you, if you look to the world, they praise their God way more than we praise our God. 
Go to a rock concert. Go to a country music concert. Just go to a ball game. Just go anywhere you want to. And people come alive. For hours at a rock concert, they'll stand and they'll wave their hands and lift their hands and they'll holler out and they'll sing things to the rock and roll. Come on, somebody. Go to Branson and watch them. Some of them old people will get up there in their 80s and they'll get to dancing and doing all kinds of stuff during one of those uh, shows. And you go to a ball game and I want to tell you the local ball game has more energy and more excitement than the church of Jesus Christ. Then why in the world would anybody want what we got? And yet God says, oh, let us come and magnify the Lord together. Seven times a day we're to worship him when we feel like it, when we don't feel like it. We're to praise him in the morning, praise him at noon, praise him in the evening, praise him when the sun goes down. And from the rising of the sun to the setting of the sun, we are to make the name of the Lord known in our praise. <laughs> Hallelujah. Would you stand with me this morning?